The passage that I would like to draw your attention tonight is the one that we read in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And in particular, I'm going to focus on verses 18 of chapter 5. All this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men, people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, I don't know whether any of your other visiting ministers who come regularly do um, a series but it's on my heart to begin a series of important biblical words, theological words, such as redemption or repentance or, as we're going to do tonight, reconciliation. That's our message. What does it mean when the Bible talks about reconciliation and our need to be reconciled to God? Well, let me remind you that we live in a very fragmented world. We're very technically advanced. We are full of information. There is education available to us. And yet, for all the knowledge that we have of the centuries and all the relevant discoveries in so many fields, it seems that the world is just as divided as it's ever been. And when we turn on the news or we look at the news, we just find there's trouble uh, that breaks out in different places. Well, even uh, Spanish football women uh, fall out with each other. You'd think footballers would know what it was to be a team. Uh, but no, they're, they're having a great squabble at the moment. And, and it, it, it runs through every strata of society. And we live in this divided world where the, it's divided ethnically, nationally, and, and religiously. And, and we're divided from those who are doing well in life and those who are not doing well in life and are struggling in the present society. There are people that are divided personally. Families um, are divided. And uh, this is the world that we're living in tonight. A very divided, fragmented, squabbling world. And uh, that's why the word reconciliation or be, re be reconciled is such a wonderful thing. And when we look at the New Testament, we find that in the original language there are three different words that are translated in to English to reconcile or reconciliation. And the one that's most commonly used means that you are changing completely. So when you reconcile two people together that have fallen out with each other, you are bringing them together again, their offence is being removed, and they are becoming friends. In Romans chapter 5, we read earlier, Paul says, believers have received 
reconciliation. And there, clearly, God is uh, recognized as the one who is the one who brings about the reconciliation that needs to be between himself and the people of the world and between the peoples who live in his world. And he needs to take the initiative because as we stand, we're not likely to make the first move to God because of the spiritual deadness of our hearts and lives. And we are the offenders. We are the ones who've broken our relationship with God. As the prophet Isaiah says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There is only one way to come and for God to hear our prayers and accept us. And that's the way he's revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So reconciliation is an act of God. A provision of God. And it implies two things. Reconciliation always involves a removal of what's caused the enmity or the offence in the first place. It's impossible to deal with a situation where there is a difference without solving what has caused the separation and the enmity. There's something that has divided and pushed apart that needs to be addressed. Secondly, reconciliation always involves the restoration of the broken relationship. It brings about new friendship and conciliation. And so whenever you read about reconciliation in the Bible, it's always involved the work of God bringing together into a state of friendship and of harmony. So, there is a background to this message, reconciliation. We see that the world needs it. And we see that God has provided it. But how did the world get like this? Why is it that this wonderful world that our God has made, this perfect world that was originally so beautiful, lived in by a perfect man and woman, has got into this terrible mess? Let's backtrack. Let's go back to the garden. Go back to the original world. And there God walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. We believe that is likely to be the pre-incarnate Christ. There's a personal relationship. There's nothing between Adam and Eve and the living God who created them. And uh, they are in intimate fellowship. But something happens. Adam and Eve are disloyal and rebellious. They listen to God's great enemy who takes the form of a snake and whispers lies into their ears. And they lose that relationship immediately. They are tricked. And that fact that they are tricked and listen to the opposer of God means that there is an offence that has come into the relationship between them and the living God. Adam knew what he was doing. He took the forbidden fruit. God was justly offended. God had given them everything good to enjoy. There was only one denial and they had to rebel against that one denial. And the relationship was destroyed. 
sin had entered the human race. They turned from God to listen to God's enemy, and God turned from them. Their eyes were opened, the Bible says. They realized what they had done. They realized that things had gone wrong. And when God came into the garden, they hid. They felt a sense of guilt and shame. And God says, Adam, Adam, where are you? Of course God knew where Adam was. But he wanted to Adam to wake up to realize what had happened. He wanted Adam to realize that an offense had come about and therefore Adam was guilty and hiding from the presence of God. And there is the first division. There is the beginning of the great division that has affected the whole world. God cast Adam and Eve out of paradise. The world was no longer paradise. It was a world where God showed his displeasure and brought a curse down upon human life, upon the well-being and harmony of human life. And then there's the division between man and wife. So Adam accuses Eve of being at fault. The woman you gave me gave me the fruit. In other words, he's implying that it was Eve's fault and God's fault for giving him Eve. And that's how it goes on, blaming others. Some of you may have heard of a man called Mez McConnell. He's written a, a, a biography. Um, and he came from a dreadfully rough background. He's a pastor in Scotland now. came from a dreadfully rough background um, and drifted into drug dealing and violence and went to prison for that. And he tells a story of um, how he was converted. Somebody was telling about the Lord Jesus Christ and he began to read Matthew Henry's commentary and that had an impact upon him. Um, But he tells in his autobiography of when he was so annoyed and so irritated by what the Bible said that he was a sinner and he was accountable to God. He didn't like hearing that. He said, I'd much rather hear my social worker tell me I was a victim. I'd had this terrible background and it wasn't my fault that I was a criminal and violent and a drug dealer. He said, I much prefer being told that than being told I was a sinner who'd offended God and needed to repent. And Adam and Eve, they're blaming each other. And they're cast out of the garden. And that's why people avoid God to this day. God has given us a conscience. God has given everyone a conscience. Some consciences are much more sensitive than others. But that's why people don't want too often to hear the gospel or to read the Bible or to go to worship. And then Adam and Eve had children, Cain and Abel. And Abel offers the sacrifices that were acceptable to God and Cain doesn't. And immediately in, in, in Cain's heart that there arises jealousy an envy that he, he can't suppress and he kills him. And so sin has gone from man and wife to brothers. It's entered the family. There's now differences between the family. And that's why there's bad feelings and divisions in families. One of the sad things as a pastor is sometimes to take funerals and to discover how families are not getting on. Really tragic. Goes back to the beginning. And then time moves on and the Bible begins to tell us about the world becoming lawless 
and violent. And God makes a move to cleanse the world and and have a new beginning. And he saved Noah and his family out of the great flood. And then Noah slips up. And uh, in his fall into an act of sin, two sons respect the father. But one son does not have. And the family goes to different ways. And you get the different races of the world. Going back to the sons of Noah. Different kinds of people scattered around the world. And then you get racial antagonism. An ethnic hatred. That we still see in the world today. And then the Bible moves on to Genesis chapter 11. And it tells us about mankind coming to work together. Maybe that's something desirable. But the reason they were working together was they wanted to be independent of the living God and his authority and create a great new humanity under a world leader. God was not going to allow a world leader because any world leader will be a man of sin, will have sin in his heart. And will use his power in wrong ways. And God decided that the Tower of Babel must come to an end. And he uh, caused them to speak different languages. And they could no longer talk to each other. Uh, And they had to split up into language groups. And there there was a babble of voices. And uh, there you beget this difference of, of nations. And international disagreements that come about. I was reading of a, a, a Baptist who um, emigrated from Brighton to um, Melbourne in Australia in 1850. It's really quite amusing in places. And uh, he, he's, he tells in one place um, how he was a carrier, so he had a horse and cart. And in the days of uh, Australia being settled by colonialists, um, he would take people's uh, goods from the port out to the interior. Um, and there were people from all over the world. Uh, and he tells this rather amusing story of one day he was hired by the Chinese who were going to work on the gold fields. Uh, and so he, he agreed a price. Uh, they didn't understand each other, but through sign language and uh, limited expression, they, they agreed a price. And then he got to his great creek um, with six Chinese on board. And he wanted to go across this creek, but there was so much stuff on the horse and cart, the poor old horses couldn't pull the cart through the river. So uh, he tried to gesticulate to the Chinese, get out, you're too heavy, we can't get through the creek. No, 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 and they made it out, we paid their money, we're going to sit tight. So his mate went and got hold of them, pulled them and threw them in the river. And he said, he said they sat on the bank chuntering, um, in annoyance, they just couldn't communicate. There was this difference in the language, and and, and there's this separation, a, a race that separates from another, and, and they're not talking to each other properly and reasonably and negotiating with each other, and so this is where we got in the world tonight. A separation that's begun between God and man, separation, breakup in family life. Children together, in communities, in societies, and in countries. There's division everywhere. This is what our world has come to. And it all begins with individual separation from God. 
If you don't know the living God and you don't submit to him and you don't understand his character and his laws and his ways, you are likely to go on uh, exacerbating the problem of human division. Your pride will make you easily offended by other people. Stand upon your rights. Not submit to God. So there we are. This is why there's the great division. This is why the world needs a reconciler to bring people back to God. This is why the world needs a message of reconciliation that brings families together and communities together in our world. And so we come to God's great solution. The story of the Lord Jesus Christ. If sin was the divider, the Lord Jesus is the uniter. If the first Adam ruined everything, the second Adam is going to renew everything, bringing people back to God. Centuries later, after all that happened in paradise, angels were heard singing at Bethlehem. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Somebody has come, they were heralding. Somebody who's going to reverse the effects of the fall. Somebody who's going to bring about a lasting solution to the problem of our divided world. And read the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He attended funerals and weddings. He attended festivals. He mixed with the poor and the outcast and the disadvantaged and the difficult. He chose for his immediate band of followers, not the educated elite, well brought up, upright people, but fishermen, political zealots, corrupt tax collectors. He was there amongst the poor and the sick and the maimed. And he was there bringing them to know that there was a God who loved them. A God who cared about them. He was God incarnate to show that God had come to bring people back to know the forgiving, accepting love of God. And there's that touching account of the Lord Jesus on his travels. The Bible says Jesus had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't have to go through Samaria. He chose to go through Samaria. The Jews would travel extra miles to circumvent the colony of Samaria. So they didn't have to have any dealings with people who lived there. But the Lord Jesus deliberately went through Samaria, which was ostracized by his Jewish compatriots. And there the Lord Jesus found a lonely, disillusioned, misled woman. And the Lord Jesus engaged her in conversation, much to her amazement. And there he pointed her to hope and a new life and the way to know God. He was the reconciler, Samaritan and Jew, lost soul and a saviour. This is the answer to the deepest problems that we have in the world. And the problem is that God is offended and God is just 
And when there is an offence, there is a penalty, and the penalty for sin is a punishment of separation from God eternally. And God's solution is, as we read in the passage, He made him who knew no sin, the one who was perfect, to be sin for us. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus was treated as if he had committed sin. The innocent died for the guilty like us, the offenders like you and me. And he did it that we might be recognized as righteous in his sight and be reconciled. This is the act of grace. Let me remind you again of what it was saying in Romans. For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more than, uh, how mu- then how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've received reconciliation. If we have faith in the Lord Jesus... God is reconciled to us and we are reconciled to God. Lloyd-Jones puts it like this, explaining what reconciliation means. First, it's a change from hostility to a friendly relationship with God. Second, it's a reunion. Third, it means the enmity is so laid aside that complete concord and union follows. Fourth, It means that one of the parties, the upper one, takes the action that solves the division. Fifth, it's a restoration of something that was there before, now brought back into place. That's what we've been looking at as we worked out the thread of the story of the enmity that has come into life. Humanity was made for friendship and fellowship with God. Disobedience and rebellion has resulted in enmity with God. And what Jesus has done in his life and his death has restored the broken fellowship. That is the wonderful thing. Let me try and, for the, particularly the younger people and the children's sake, try and make it home, home to you with a story. One day, a, a, a carpenter called on a farmer looking for work. And the farmer's land was divided from his neighbour's land by a very wide ditch. The farmer said, yes, I I would like you to do some work for me. I want you to build me a fence to replace the ditch. The ditch divides my land from my brother's. We've had a big fallout and I don't want to see him ever again so if you can replace the ditch with a fence I won't ever have to see his face again such is the bad feeling between us so he left the carpenter to go to work carpenter to work on the fence but when he came back to inspect the farmer's work that the carpenter's work to his amazement he discovered that the carpenter had built a bridge over the ditch. And when he got there, there was his brother standing, looking across 
amazed that his brother had built a bridge to reach out to him. And the two men came together on the bridge and were reconciled. And God in his great plan for us has sent the Lord Jesus to build the bridge that reaches out to us who are at enmity with God. He's made a way for us to cross from death to life. Our sin has separated us from God, but Jesus has taken away the sin that separated us. The chasm sin has caused is no longer there. Jesus is the one we need. Have you crossed the bridge from a place of enmity and resistance, a place of trying to avoid catching the eye of God, to a place where you know he's your friend? Because he's touched your heart. Because you've seen the Lord Jesus has come to save you. See, reconciliation goes uh, beyond just reconciliation. It, It involves forgiveness, but it brings us back into a relationship. So that's the second point. But the third point Paul has been making in this second Corinthians letter is it brings about a great resolution. He's committed to us, says Paul, the message of reconciliation. We're therefore God's ambassadors, as though God were making this appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So one of the evidences that you are reconciled to God is that you become a reconciler to other people. You see brothers and sisters in Christ as people that you are love, that you love and are in unity with. In the aftermath of the terrible American Civil War, you remember that the southern states were defending slavery and the northern states were fighting against them for that. After the resolution or the end of the war, there was a holy white church worshipping God in the southern state of Richmond. And into that congregation became uh, uh, <coughs> walked a distinguished looking black man. And when it came to the communion service, the black man moved to the front to take communion. The white congregation were stunned. They didn't know what to think, what to do. And then a white man moved forward. And it was a white man whose life had been totally ruined by the war. He'd been a general. He'd accepted defeat. And he went and rose and walked and sat by the black man at the front. In that moment, the whole congregation realised that the Christian way was reconciliation. That white man was General Robert Lee. He was a distinguished general who'd taken the surrender, who accepted uh, the, the, the defeat, and he was now conciliatory now accepting, now recognising that black and white 
Unionist and Confederate, are one in Christ. Now, you and I, in our lives, will sometimes have our disagreements. We may not always see eye to eye with each other as Christians. But we have, as Christians, far, far more in common than we do with the people who are not Christians. The world, the church isn't immune to strained relationships. I think the letter to Philemon is a lovely, lovely little letter. It's written by Paul. He's a prisoner. And he's writing to Philemon, who's a slave owner and a slave master. And he's writing particularly about a runaway slave who's stolen from his master Philemon. And now Onesimus has become a Christian. So all three of them now are Christians. Onesimus formerly was not. And Paul writes this letter to Philemon, pleading with him to forgive and accept Onesimus as a brother in Christ. He might have been a thief. He might have been a slave and may well still be a slave. But Paul is wonderfully sensitive and tactful. Somebody said there's 335 words in his letter, and Paul takes 145 words before he even brings up the subject of reconciliation. And he doesn't order Philemon to forgive and accept Onesimus. He appeals to him as a brother, as a child of God. And Paul recognises Philemon's point of view, that he has been wronged, that Onesimus has broken the law. But he sees that point of view. But because of repentance in Onesimus, things have changed. And Paul is hopeful that Philemon will respond as a Christian because Philemon himself has been forgiven and is reconciled to God. And this is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are reconciled to God and we in our lives should be people who are reconcilers. The Bible contains some lovely stories of people who've experienced deep hurt and then learnt to forgive where there has been pain. You remember Joseph. How would you like to be sold by your brothers when you're a teenager and sold into slavery and then forgotten and unknown for years? And you know the wonderful story of Joseph, how God was with him and he rose to prominence in Egypt. And then one day his brothers come begging. They've got a famine. They need food. And Joseph recognises them. And he's so moved he can't face them. Because he realised God has brought, the, brought about to pass the dreams that he had. About his brothers bowing down to him when he was a boy. And they come back again. And ultimately Joseph reveals himself. They're scared. You can understand they're scared. The man that they betrayed, the brother that they sold, is now the most powerful man in Egypt, and they're in his hands. But he's forgiving. 
they're reconciled. In our fragmented world, we need to be what the Lord Jesus calls us to be, peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Are there any areas in our lives where there are differences that need to be sorted out? So easy for us to be cold towards others. So easy for us to harbour bad feelings. So easy for us to think wrong thoughts of other people. Is our family okay? Is our workplace okay? Are things that they should are things as they should be? In Matthew 5, Jesus says, If you're offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. You see, broken relationships affect our hearts and they hinder prayer and they grieve the Spirit of God. Now, when I was at Whitstable, well, some of you might know this story. One Sunday morning, just before the service, I had a phone call. It was a stranger. And he said, are you the pastor? Yes. Are you reformed? Yes. I need to meet you. I'm suicidal. I've never forgotten my response. Looking back, I think, probably shouldn't have said that. I said, could you please wait to the end of the service? I'm just about to go to church. This is after a man has told me he's suicidal. Yes, that's all right, he said. So we arranged to meet after the service. And we met along the seafront at Herne Bay after I'd finished at Hamilton Road. And he was a very troubled single man. And he started coming to the church each Sunday gave every evidence of being truly converted though he'd clearly got some mental health issues and one day I happened to say to him there's a lady coming to the Bethany Centre with the same surname as you her Christian name is Jean and when I said that it was as if he'd been shot what? he said what? that's my mother What's she doing there? She's a Roman Catholic. I said, but the Bethany Centre is open to all kinds of people. Well, we're very glad for her to come. How is she? I said, well, as far as I know, she's all right. So I told her, I've met your son, Kevin. How do you know him, she says. What's he doing at your church? I said, well, he phoned me up and he's coming here every Sunday. How is he, she says. So for a week or two, I became a messenger boy. And finally, I discovered what had happened, that years ago, Kevin had been thrown out by his family. He'd been a very difficult man. I think he'd got mental health issues. And he'd fallen out big time with his mother and his brothers. But while he was cast out, he'd come to know the Lord and he was living with a Christian lady in Herne Bay. And so it reached the point where I said, well, Kevin, I think you need to get back together with your mother. Are you prepared to meet her? 
Yes, he said. So I said to her, are you prepared to meet Kevin and get together again? Yes, she said, but you must be there. I'm afraid of him. So they came together. And it was a meeting with tears. It was a meeting of regret. And from then on, every week Kevin would go and see his mum. His relationship was restored with his brothers. He'd go and meet his brothers every week. And they were brought back together. That's the power of Christ's reconciling love. To be prepared to say sorry for any offence that have been caused. And that brings about restored friendship. This is the reconciling power of Jesus Christ and his spirit. It's one of the most beautiful things that happens when people come back together. And people sometimes do need to be brought back together. I didn't realise, I knew that Bunyan caught a chill travelling to London and he'd gone to London to reconcile a father and a son who'd fallen out. And I didn't know that Luther likewise, in uh, the last days of his life, visited two brothers who'd fallen out. You see, what were these two great Christians doing? They were fulfilling the Great Commission. They were reaching out with the message of Christ's reconciling, forgiving love. The Lord Jesus said in John, All men will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. And part of the love is forgiveness. Marriages are never going to last unless there's forgiving love. Can you ask any wife if she's got a perfect husband? If she's honest, she will uh, tell you she's not. But that needs forgiveness. It needs love. It needs reconciliation. This is the word reconciled reconciliation I leave you with the question tonight are you reconciled to God have you come to the Lord Jesus and asked him to take your daughter sometimes the girls at school are nasty to her and you have to live with that and create a forgiving spirit like the Lord Jesus he lived with people who said all kinds of slanderous and nasty things about him. Yet he was always ready to forgive them. That's why this gospel that we believe in and we love is so wonderful and so unique. It's God's solution to our divided world.